Hi, I'm David and welcome to the world of what can be, where we'll be discussing a number of issues, mainly around prison and mental health, but more from the perspective, as the title suggests, of what can be. So it's an honour to welcome to my very first podcast someone who, on March the 4th, 1969, which is the year I was born, was sentenced alongside the Cray Twins at the Old Bailey to life imprisonment. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to be able to share my conversation with Chris Lambianu on, well, quite a bit really. Once again, I really appreciate you agreeing to do this with me. Um, I think I said to you before about um, I've got a, uh, someone that I know that I spoke to who spent 12 years behind the door for something he didn't do. And I know that back in the, in the late 60s, you yourself, you were sentenced to 15 years for a crime you didn't do. I mean, that... <laughs> To, to get through something like that must have taken a huge amount of strength, especially mental health. I mean, how did you find it, Chris? Well, for me, David, I thought system. That was the only one I could deal with it, to be honest with you. Um, they, we were category A men, which was double category A. Yeah. So we didn't go into normal prison. Right. They had these wings, which they put us on. There was four, in actual fact, um, all over the country, Durham, Parkhurst, on the Isle of Wight, yeah. um, Chelmsford was another one, and Leicester was the security wing. Right. They used to call it the, the submarine. Oh. And there was eight, eight men in each wing who were considered the most dangerous men in the prison system. Right. And so I was classified like that, really. And wow. I, I'd never been nicked for violence or anything else like that. So I really couldn't understand why they came down. But then when you look at, in retrospect, back, yep. they were terrified. Yeah. They'd nicked the biggest gang in England. <laughs> and they didn't know what to a, do. A, that's why. So we were equally all treated like uh, vermin. And I'll tell you what the hospital uh, Durham said. He said, these people are so dangerous, he said, they could probably get a chieftain tank and come through the wall to get these men out. Wow. So we have to be very aware of just what we're doing. Well, I mean, you've only got to look at the way that they've um, they've treated Charlie uh, Charlie Salvador, Charlie Bonson recently. Um, I mean, he's only just come out of a double, and that cell he was in at Wakefield or Warrington was it Wakefield? I mean, that it was yeah. a cleaning cupboard. I mean, that well, that. Let me tell you something. Go on. The man went in. As a dangerous man, let's have it right. I don't think he was a dangerous man when he went in. No. I think he was a simple man. Yep. He went into, he he wanted to engage, he went into a a jeweller's and he demanded an engagement ring. Mm -hmm. This is how I understand it. And um, anyway, there there was violence in in the act or anything. He went to prison and in prison he did what I did. He got very angry about being there. It's just the way they were treating him and all that kind of thing. And he reacted as such. Yeah. I didn't do what he did. Was actually uh, took a, 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 a master or whatever they are, uh, teachers or, or, you know, a prison governor hostage. Mm. Um, so they've just lumped him in as being the most violent man. Yeah. He's had to carry that for years and years and years. 41 years or is it even more I think it's longer and he spent about 28 years in solitary confinement I think 
site, you know, and acting up all the time. Did anybody ever think, hey, well, there's something wrong here. He's a human being. Yep. Let's try and reach him. Well, they did that up in Glasgow because what they did in the prison up there, they changed the whole way they looked at people doing long-term imprisonment. Yeah. And they got them into art, they got them into sculpture, they got them into all different things like that. And it changed these people when they began to make things. Well, and it, they valued them and everything else like that, you understand? Exactly, I mean, they, that's... They Sorry, Chris, go on. No, go on, Dave. No. I was going to... they looked at the inner man or the, or the inner woman. Yeah. And they, they reached into that place and made them create things. You know, I, I won the Cultural Award for literature. <laughs> yeah. Me, from the East End, no education, and yet I've won a, a, a Cultural Award for literature. Well, it, even... The governor... Even without, even without us speaking about that before, Chris, that um, I've actually got three certificates myself for, for poetry from Kessler and uh, yeah. a, a team award for a magazine that we've done on the Holocaust uh, back in 2007, yeah, 2017. So, yeah, I mean, for me, that was one of the biggest things that enabled me to deal with my mental health in prison was to be creative. But... You, I mean, you didn't sort of, if you like, I suppose, find yourself until really later on throughout your uh, through your sentence, did you? That's right. I mean, basically for me, it was uh, choking blocks, hunger strikes, because they didn't want to give us nothing. Yeah. You, you understand, the food was absolutely shocking. So did the riots. I got a very bad kick in in Albany. Right. I brought it on. I brought it on myself um, because I started on them. Yeah. But I was the first. There were three of us. I still remember the three. There was uh, a guy called Freddie Sanson. Yep. Uh, another guy called Ray Powell and myself. And Fred, Fred, Freddie got a, a kick in first, ran out for a piss part over him. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Powell didn't do the same. I can't let my waist down. No, of course not. <laughs> I bet that hurt. So, Right. But I didn't care whether I lived or died. That was my mental state. Yeah. I, you know, I just... They'd taken everything. I didn't have any hope of getting out or anything. They'd taken everything away from me. What was it? I life sentence, life. wasn't it, Chris? Life sentence... Um, life, yeah, life recommended yeah, 15 yeah. years, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Recommended 15. And you'd done the 15. And I did the 15, the full 15. So what? what um, when did you sort of, if you like... Get get hold of yourself. When did you sort of think, nah, this this isn't the way to to do bird. I'm, I need to find another way. Well, I tell you what happened. One thing, people. I'm not I'm not a religious man. Yep. But I'm a man who, who respects spiritual people. Yep. And I've, many of the books I've been reading have been spiritual books. Okay. But spiritual spiritual strength. There's a guy called Canal Gibron. Now, the story is this. I'm in, in, in Gartree, and the screw's uh, bringing the mail round, and he gives this guy called Johnny Byrne a book. Johnny Byrne looks at the book and throws it on the floor. Right. He says, he's trying to give me rubbish. I picked this book up, and it was one of the best books I'd ever read. It was called The Prophet. Uh, spiritual insights and everything else like that. Mm. His girlfriend was trying to reach out to him, right. and him, help him. Make him the bigger man. Yep. Go inside himself. And I said, 
don't want it. He went, no. I said, do you mind if I read it? He went, no, because you can have it. And I tell you something, that was such a blinder. That was something that began to open my eyes. And then I read about sort of like different people, the spiritual side of the hippie movement. Yep. Uh, back in the late 60s. Um, and they went on sort of like all these, um, like Pink Floyd and all that kind of stuff. And I got into that kind of music, which made me very angry as well, because they were Pink Floyd to Dark Side of the Moon. Right. Or you, or you listen to Marvin Gaye, what's going on in the world. You had a war in Vietnam that was totally unjust. Yep. You understand what I mean? They were yep. going in and blind, burning bridges down and killing men, women and children. And there's me, I'm sitting in, in, in prison for 15 years and I haven't laid a finger on anybody. Mm. And I can't justify it. I'm in prison because what they say is that I had knowledge. Yep. And if I had knowledge, I was as guilty as the perpetrators. If it was uh, a GBH, actual bodily harm, manslaughter and murder, I was as guilty as everyone. But the, the, it was a show trial. Yeah, it was a, definitely. It was a total fit-up, you understand what yep, I'm saying? definitely. It was so unjust. It was everything against what British justice stands for. Yep. And they already had the sentences laid out. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I can tell you things that went on there. I mean, they can put anything in a statement. Yep. They can't do it now because you've got to sit there. It's all taped. Oh, and Charlie, I mean, Charlie Richardson, the same sort of era he got. I mean, he got sentenced for who he was, not what he did. I mean, 20, right, 25 was, years. 25 was, years for that. That was just incredible. But Charlie was one of my best friends. I went yep. through the whole prison system. I was at his funeral. We used to meet up regular just before he died and all the rest of it. So, you know, I'm still very good friends with his wife, Ronnie, a lovely lady. Yep. Um, it's, Put us know, in contact. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, she's an amazing woman. She is fantastic. She's grief after grief after grief. Yep. And when Charlie went down, you know, she she had to deal with that. Her children, her mum. Yeah. Her dad then died. Her son died. And I went to the police funeral as well. How sad was that? Mm. I mean, you know, the, the people really, really suffered. But Charlie, I never saw Charlie lose his, uh, lose his trouble with anybody. I aggression with anybody I didn't see him threaten anybody he didn't need to the man was an educated man and again I someone I'd so, work and I'd find a book on the bed Charlie was educating me all yeah. the time and I was educating him and I, it gave me books that I had never imagined a man that man would have read I mean his 25 years as I say was unjust and again the strength to be, I mean, I, I've, I mean, I've done quite a bit of prison time myself, but I, I have to admit that I've deserved every second of my prison time. So, I suppose it's easier for me to sit in that cell and justify to myself why I'm there. But to, to, and working with sort of the Samaritans and the prison as well, I, I get to speak to guys that you see that come in that. Um, that haven't committed the crime, that are innocent. And it, it's just, it, I, I can't imagine what it must feel like myself. And that's coming from someone that's experienced with prison, what it must feel like um, to, 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 and years as well, not just weeks or months, but years. Um, so it, what was it after seven years, Chris, you, you felt like giving up, was it? Well, uh, yeah, well, what I did, I got to the stage, guys, where I actually thought of myself, 
is there any point in going on? Mm. You thought the system, the system, you know, everybody tells you you can't beat the system. Well, there is one way. You just don't play the game. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You finish it. Yeah. So it was running through my head, and the voice was saying, kill yourself. You don't want to do any more of this. You're never mm. going to get out. After what you've done in prison, the violence and all the rest of it, and the fights and, and the, um, you know, the, the, the riots and the kind of up against the screws and the governors, because uh, the governor said to me once, he said, what do you want? I said, well, let me tell you what I want. I said, I want you to treat us like human beings. Yeah. He said, I can treat you like a human being. He said, I can't treat the rest. Yeah. I said, well, it's everybody or nobody. I've read too much of Gandhi. <laughs> 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 and I tell you there, and people like that, I really got into the hippie age and really read all this kind of literature about these people who stood up and, you know, were real fighters. Yeah. Like Gandhi, I mean, there was nothing of him. But he fought, he wouldn't give up. No, exactly, that's the point. He battled on regardless. You know, and he suffered every kind of injustice it was possible. Mm. And they belittled him and everything. But anyway, so, you know, and I admired his way of non-violence, Martin Luther King, another one. Yep. You, you know, I mean, all these different characters, they, all, they, they found an inner strength. Mm. And, and a lot of them were brutalised. A lot of them were told they were rubbish and everything else. And I've been told that, so I kind of identified with it. Yeah, no, but I understand I that. the system. Yep. And the voice is saying, Chris, you're never going to get out. Do it. Do it. And I thought, you can't think like this. Mm. You've got to be positive. You've got to kind of find in a prison cell, there's something you've got to do. Mm. Do something. Anyway, I had a box of books under it to bed. Alamein Brown had gone out. And uh, he left me this box of books. I've gone through all these books and chucked them away and, and no, that's not doing anything for me. And I came across a Bible, and I chucked that across the floor, and I thought, well, you know, the only time I've ever used the Bible was to rip a page out and roll a fag. fag. Catholic, <laughs> they never give you a Bible. <laughs> I mean, the Catholic tell you what to believe. Good old Gideons, yeah. You understand that the, the Bible was something they don't give you. Mm. They think for you rather than they, you think for yourself. Anyway... I, Away and I went through them all and finally I came back to the Bible and I thought about people who believed, really strong believers. Yeah. And there are people out there that have, 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 you know, they're actually, they're full demons, they're full wars, they're full everything. Just people really climbed mountains and did great sports events and everything else, really humane, decent human beings. Mm. And I thought, well, if they can believe, like that, maybe I can. Yeah. And I thought, well, if I put it under my pillow or put it under my head, the thoughts from that Bible will go in my head mm. and nothing happened. And I was boiling, and if a screw had walked through that door, I would have killed him to justify being there. Right, got you. Uh, and, and so, you know, I picked the Bible up again and I put it by my arm. Wow. And I fell asleep. It's about four o'clock in the morning. And then forever after that, I was telling one of me. That was what I looked to. So that was... The night, I'd go into the cell, and I'd lay a towel on the floor, 
put a Bible on the on on the on the clean towel and put my head on a Bible and pray okay. on my knees. Uh, and then one Sunday I was looking out the window and I saw all these guys going to church. But I, I wouldn't go to church because, you know, like, well, come on, you know, I'm supposed to be a gangster. I'm supposed to be yeah, a yeah, man, yeah, you know, I, I can understand you know, that. So it'd be a sign of weakness. Yep. But there was a guy there called Bulletproof Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and Bulletproof Jack came on the wing and I went, there, Jack, did I see you going to church? And he went, yeah. So I said, why? He said, because I believe. And that hit me right between the eyes. Yep. Harder than any punch. And he just walked away. And, and I thought to myself, I'm supposed to, I believe, I believe, and I'm praying sincerely, and I'm not as committed as that to go to church. Mm. And I did. The following Sunday I went, and somebody said to me, Chris, what are you doing in church? This was your place. And I said, yeah, I've heard there's some good books over here, so I'm looking for a library. And he said, you stay for the service? I said, well, no, not really. Um, but I did stay for the service, and I really enjoyed it. But then, so like, I was lying to myself all the time. Yeah. But that, that, that I mean, obviously, I, I, I know your story, so it's easy for me to think. But um, after that, it was sort of, it, it not only carried you through, but it was something that you carried on after being released, wasn't it? Yep. That I can believe. Oh, it's like opening the door. Okay. The Bible. And when you walk through, you walk in into another way of life. Those that haven't got a father, read Proverbs. That's a father speaking to a son. Okay. You want to know about sort of, you know, life in general. Go to, go to any part of the Bible and you'll find it there. Yep. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's all... It's all there, and it, it's there for the person who needs it. Yep. But you don't find it until you're on your knees. Yeah, and that's the truth. You understand? Yeah. And you've got nothing else. And, and, and then I met this man called G. And honourable, decent, friendly, uh, how can I put it, educated. But educated in a way that weren't sitting down and writing a desk. But educating about humanity, yeah. Educated about people, sort of philosophy, you know, sort of more yeah, philosophical, right. and, and, and about the, the 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 sickness of people, yeah. You know the maliciousness. Him, him without sin cast the first stone. <laughs> you understand? Yeah. When they're stoning a woman to death, and he comes to a a, a, a man in a, in a graveyard, yep. called Legion, that has got a thousand demons in his head. And nobody can control this man. He, this man is a, a, a Charles Bronson. Right. Or is it Frank Mitchell? Yeah, oh dear. And he walks up to him. And he puts a hand either side of his head. And he said, be renewed. You know, and he carded him in his right mind. Mm. Do you understand what I mean? Demons have gone. Yep. He told them to go. I met many demons. I met many legions in prison. Really people who really, you know, could have been dealt with in a much more different way. Yeah. 
DC, they don't deal with individuals, they deal with numbers. Yeah, exactly. When you look at the prison system, you know, the prisoner is the dog. Yep. And there were so many fleas feeding off the dog. Yep. Do you understand? Yeah, I'm exactly. No, you're you right. You've got prison officers, you've got welfare systems, you've got this, that, and all these different systems. They can't afford to let the prison system go. No. Otherwise, so many people would be out of work. Well, exactly. And and there's so much privatisation with the prisons now as well. That the, I mean, there's huge contracts coming out of prisons these days. It's yeah, just... It's, it's the offshoots as well. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? But the thing is, they, they don't listen to the prisoners. No. Nope. Because somebody comes and gets an education, or they go to work in prison, they know it all, they don't. Until mm. you've done time, like you've done time, David, like I've done time, we're the people who understand it. We're the people that can tell them about it. It's, yeah, exactly. It's those little nuances, isn't it, that make the, that make the difference. I mean, I've, I've got to be honest. I mean, I think you found yourself as well, Chris, that I, I think the system's slightly becoming more receptive now to lived experience. They're starting to understand the importance of lived experience. And especially with time to change the, the mental health campaign that I'm now championing through um, that are led by mind and, and rethink mental illness. I mean, that David, there... Go on. David, let me tell you something. Do I understand, it? IPP. Oh, don't. Oh. I'm telling you, that's horrendous. That is, yeah. And even the Court of Human Rights kicked it out. Said it's out of the ballpark. I mean, it doesn't that's even so exist. But it doesn't exist anymore. No, exactly. And you've got the IPP, they're in there. Yeah. And I tell you, you want to know about mental health, can't talk to them guys. Yeah. Well, I've got um, a couple of... I thought, God, it sounds like one of those really cliches, but I've got a couple of friends that are doing IPP and um, uh, and I know exactly what their families are going through. It's that unknown. It's like, what more have I got to do? How can you keep me held here? Why am I still a risk to society? And I've got children out there who need me. Exactly. And I've learned all my lessons. There what needs- are you keeping me in for? It's been off the books for some, what was it, 2012, I think it was, they took it off the books. It's eight years ago. That Surely they could yeah. have come up with a solution to have dealt with it by now. In that time. And yet we're talking eight years ago, and they weren't really life sentences, were they? They were just tariffs, and yet there's people That's still right. in there 10, 12 years over tariff for for stealing a bike, one guy. I mean, he, he initially went away for stealing a push bike. It just... Oh, you, you, it just uh, when you see our criminal justice system, but it's like that guy that got caught um, urinating next to that's the the memorial for that copper. Yeah, and, yeah, and he got put away for that. I mean, he didn't get put away for the crime. He got put away for the for the publicity. And a friend of mine said stuff like that makes a mockery of our criminal justice system. And I think it does. To be honest, it shows that. The criminal justice system, which really should be there, yeah, okay, fair enough to punish, which is the loss of the freedom, but you also need to rehabilitate, otherwise what's the point? We might as well just leave people in there. So when you see it being used, if you like, to to to, to punish all of society's problems, um, then it does make a mockery of the system. So as I say before, Chris, with... Um, when obviously in in um, in prison you come up you, you come over uh, sorry you come across the Bible, um, and then 
as I say, you, that got you through the sentence and you continued to do work with ex-offenders and that after you got out yourself, didn't you? You, you oh. sort of started to give back even though oh. it was take, take, right, take. Let me, let me explain what happened. Okay. I came home and, you know, I knew what I had to do. It started on the hostel, really. Yeah. But I wanted to go a little bit back before that. I mean, there, there was... When I... I, I, I made friends in jail. Yeah. I didn't necessarily want to make friends with gangsters or anybody else. I made friends with people I saw good things in. Mm-hmm. And one of these friends was a guy called Wally Wilson. Right. Uh, a black guy who was on the Open University. And I admired him because he was going for his own education. Yeah. So if ever I had a petition to write, he'd write it for me. So I'll go to Wally and I'll turn around and say, uh, Wally, will you write me this petition? Because I want to get nearer to London to see, be able to see my dad who's now in his 80 years. Yeah. And what he said, Chris, he said, look, let me tell you something. He said, I'm not doing it. Mm. And I went, why? And he used to call me the general. He said, general, he said, you could do this yourself. He said, you understand the way you feel about this situation. Mm. Put it down on paper. I said, Wally, come on, just do this one for me. He went, look, he said, I'm leaving the few." He said, you have to do this for yourself now. And I'm, I'm making you do this because otherwise, he said, you're going to give your private information to people who are going to ridicule you, do this and do that. Mm. He said, you've got to do this for yourself. I said, well, how do I do it? He said, do it tersely. I said, what does tersely mean? Do it if you feel it. And I came away from there and I'm telling you, I was pissed off with it. Mm. And I went, out, I went in that cell and I wrote a letter and it was all the anger and all the passion I felt. He, he, I was angry at him. Yeah. But I was putting it down on paper to the Home Office about wanting it to be somewhere near my dad, the injustice of it all. It was that man who knew I had it in me. Yeah. It was that man who was my friend. He didn't... I wasn't a cripple. I wasn't a, a, a kind of a, an imbecile or anything else like that. He knew I could do it. Mm. He knew I needed to do it. And that's what I admire about people. Sometimes you've got to be tough. Sometimes you've got to make people do it for themselves. Yeah. And nobody can do it for you. If you're sitting in a cell and your heart's breaking because of your family and everything else and you're in dire situations, start one day and make it different. Exactly. Take responsibility. Say good morning to people. Yep. You know, talk about their families. I talk about literature, the, the Coastal Award I won mm. was, I, I had a daughter and I used to write these children's stories for her, for her, because I wasn't allowed to see her. It was crazy, and all the rest of it. Yeah. I was seen as a demon and uh, I went in front of the Royal Court of Justice and I spoke in uh, a lady called Mrs Justice Lane and she told me that, you know, I should like, let my daughter go. Um, because it'd be great difficulty having me as a father. And I just got to her, I said, look, I said, you didn't make me a father. Mm. A greater hand than yours made me a father. You're a judge, but this one be a judge you. <laughs> I said, I want to be a father. I love my daughter, I've made great mistakes, but that doesn't matter. You can't stop me. So anyway, she allowed me one letter a month photograph a year. No. And my daughter had to go and see a psychologist. 
psychologist about or psychiatrist about me anyway. Mm. So it all, it all got ridiculous. There was so much going on. And so I wrote these stories. And in the end, my wife wasn't keen to sort of write the letters or the photographs. So I, I sent her a letter and she said, don't do it. If it causes you grief and pain, don't do it. So she never did. Yeah. But she went to get on, 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 a, on, a, on a bus with my sister-in-law. And she didn't get on the bus. She said, my sister, I can't do it. And my sister-in-law said, why? She said, I've done all 15 years. She said, can I wait 15 years? What's he going to be like when he comes out? Is he going to be the man I know or is he going to be some kind of animal? So, you know, she decides not to get on that bus. And I can't really blame her, Dave, you understand? Yeah, no, of course. So I came, I came, you know, I, I started to write these stories. But one day if I had a meter, I can, I can, you know, give it these. And they're very therapeutic. Yeah. So I wrote, I wrote this story. And a guy called Joe Lott, a bank robber, came up to me. He went, Christmas. I'm having problems with my kids. He said, I just can't speak to them. I'm on a visit. You know, I don't know how to communicate with them. What do you think? I said, well, Joe, I said, like, you've got to get down on their level. Mm. I said, you're the father. They look to you. You've got to be able to give them something. And they you know, engage with them. Connect. And he said, well, I, I don't know how. Mm. So anyway, I gave him one of these stories. And he sent the story to the children. <laughs> And the children, Daddy, Daddy, have you got another story? Have you got another story? So I do these stories for him. But I did what Wally Wilson did. I turned around and said, listen, go, you can write them yourself. Yeah, do it yourself, man. So, but that, is, that was so therapeutic. Yeah. But nothing like that was going on in prison. Nobody ever said, look, you know, we, we'll, we'll start this class. Communication with children or something else like that. Well, and that sounds crazy, Dave, but it's it, real. It is real. I mean, well, they do. Um, they. I, I don't know if you're aware, Chris, but they do something called Storybook Dads and Storybook Mums now, which is uh, a, a charitable organisation that works within prisons, and you record and you record the story. They send it off. I think it's Channing's Wood. They send it to now, and then they they record it to um, your voice. To relevant background music. I've done a couple for my granddaughters. Oh, they absolutely love them. And the thing is, as well, my my youngest granddaughter wasn't born, so the eldest granddaughter is now able to pass them down. So that the, it's just ah, uh, it was. And, and as you say as well, that that being creative. I mean, I think we mentioned it earlier about being creative. How it can really help, especially in in prison. How it can really help if you like. Um, refocus the mind and, and 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 for me creative writing was was my sort of discovery if you like that was what That's opened right. my eyes uh, and well, i'll tell you what happened dave i'm going past this guy's cell and uh it is an david as well and <laughs> i said doing this writing and i said what are you doing david he, he said i'm doing calligraphy so i said do you mind if i have it or you won't know and I had a look and it was the most tremendous writing. Yeah. I said, I wish I could write like that. <laughs> he said to me, you can't. I said, no, I can't. Look at it. I said, it's beautiful. And he turned around and he said, look, come back to me, he said, about sort of quarter nine. He said, no, I want to give you something. Anyway, quarter nine, I went back there and he gave me an alphabet, a calligraphy alphabet. Uh, 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 you know, and, and it was all there. And I went back to myself and I copied it out, and I wrote, and I did everything. Mm. And in the end, my calligraphy, I turned it, I turned, put it on a hardboard, 
bit of background of a heart or rainbows and everything else, and I wrote my own poetry on it in calligraphy. Wow. And I had, a, I had an exhibition in, in Westminster Abbey. Wow. Uh, so, you know, wow. I found so many, so many things. Yeah. And that's why I say, when I found faith, I also found a lot of other things. Mm. And I went to work on a garden party. And being out, working with nature, you know, look at death. I mean, my dad died while I was in prison. But then I looked at the sky and I looked at the trees and I saw the tree dies in the autumn. Mm. In in the you know in the spring, it, it, it's reborn again. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't. I, I knew how to. My dad, when he died, my faith gave me a way of actually walking him up the mountain as Abraham did with Isaac, mm. and making an altar, and I put my dad on it, a mental altar, and I just said to God, I said, look, take care of him. Mm. He. he, he he has been the personification of, of decency, honour and respect. I can't no longer be there for him. And he can no longer be there for me, but you can be there for him. Mm. Take him out with you and take care of him because I can't. Because I felt such a shallow, uh, how can I put it, useless, pain, beyond words, kind of, how can I put it, looked upon myself as being... Helpless, hopeless. The, the, uh, yeah, that's right. And, and, and that was my prayer to God, please, mm. take him. Take him home and look after him. And, and he never left me. He, my father has never left me to this day. Wow. Because I did that. So you can find you can find peace in the most unlikely of places, can't you? You can that's find right. comfort in, most, in a prison like, garden. <laughs> Mm. I mean, one day a person walking by, who I know, never normally would have spoken to, asked me about the roses, and I said, "Yeah, I've got green flying." I said, "It's such a shame because they're beautiful." Mm. And the uh, and this person said, uh, "Look," he said, "Go down to the laundry and ask them to give you uh, soapy water for after they've done the washing, and if they give you some uh, buckets of that, you can put it in a spray can." And, go around and spray them all and get rid of the green fly and it did it did <laughs> and I got so many things and I remember I was going through it a little bit and this silly uh, came by and he went infinito carborunda and you know what it means don't let the bastards get you down so you know and then the top island office official said to me you've been more shit against this dinner mm. And that gave me great encouragement. So you weren't looking for letters and this, that and the other. But I tell you, when you're doing the right thing and you're looking up at a, a blue sky or you're looking at flowers and trees and you're planting them, I'm telling you something, it's like giving birth. Yeah. You're not part of the, of the birth of a flower. Yeah. You're part of the birth of a tree or whatever it is. I get, I mean... My last sentence, when I knew it was going to be my last sentence and, and I was doing the work that I wanted to make sure it was going to be my last sentence, I used to walk around the prison with a spring in my step. I mean, the the, the, the most miserablest I was was the day I got out um, because, obviously, then it became real. Then then it was, right, OK, 
even though I still was proving things with my actions with some of the stuff I was doing in prison, I was still in prison, but there I was that day coming out to the real world and obviously I had to go through a couple of hostels myself. But that I think was, but yeah, apart from that, because I knew that I was going to be using my experience to give back in more ways than one, it it just, it it it, it wasn't a prison sentence, if that makes sense. It become like a, 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 um, a residential training course. Well, I became a monk. Yeah. I became a monk. It was okay to go back to the cell. Yeah. Many people in the monasteries have given up their outside life. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And they lived in the cell. Well, I looked forward to it. Yeah, that's right. I did look forward to that quiet time. Yeah. I did look forward to sort of sitting at the desk and writing away and doing whatever I could. Yeah. And what happened to me was, I was praying one night and the voice said to me, Chris, don't say these prayers. Write them down. Mm. And I wrote them down over a 40-day period. And the one thing that I didn't want to happen was my father dying while I was in prison. Yeah. Uh, and that happened. And during that 40 days that I wrote down, he died. And I was allowed out to the funeral. And we could have escaped. We'd yeah. People cut the escort up and we could have escaped easy, but we didn't. We were there to honour our father. Yeah. And, and say a proper goodbye and we did that. And that changed the screw's attitude towards us. We didn't mess about with them. Mm. We didn't... We, but it wasn't them. It wasn't about them. It was about my dad. Yeah. My dad had never failed us. If we'd have ran away, I'd, I'd have felt like a bit of scum. You understand what I mean? That I ran out on my father when he was... Uh, he yeah, I, I, I totally understand that. Yeah, I... You understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, It couldn't happen. Yeah. But, during the course of that 40 days, I wrote these meditations. And then when I came out of prison, I showed my parole officer. She said, you've got to, got to let people see these. He said, they can encourage a lot of people. Mm. So I, I, you know, I got in touch with Prison Christian Fellowship and they published it. And it went out into prisoners and churches and everywhere. Wow. Called the day that changed, the day that, uh, the day, no, it was called Meditations of a Lifer. Mm. And it had a picture of Christ uh, behind bars uh, on a white background. And that, that went everywhere. And then Hodder and Stoughton published it. Wow. Um, it's called um, Do the Walls Come Down? Because we all build walls around ourselves. We certainly do. And we look over the top. Mm. And we choose who we're going to let in and who we don't let in. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, what I was saying, when you've read these meditations... Are the walls coming down? Mm. Can we communicate now the walls don't exist? Well, it's, it's, uh, and that, that was basically a question. But if you need to get that book... <laughs> <laughs> Here comes the plug. <laughs> yeah, it's £49 on, e- on eBay or... Uh, What's your name? On well, you've got quite a few books on Amazon, haven't you? You've got the two, obviously, yeah, about yeah. your previous life, um, yeah. which is, has been done to, to death, so we won't bother talking about that. But um, you've also got another meditation book on it as well, haven't you, I think? Yeah, I have. Um, that's called, that's Does the Watch Come Down. Right. And um, that one is, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, everybody kind of thinks it's kind of good, but... Uh, you know, I, I, I should, can I read you one, one of the meditations? Please do, Chris, please do. There's one they call freedom. Right. There is a breeze which blows into each man's life. What he truly knows for certain, 
what freedom really is. When he knows that only in you can be found the real rock hard reality and freedom of being himself. It's my God, my friend, it's what I truly desire. And maybe in the recess of all men's hearts is true, it's their desire. This is the peace which passes all understanding. This is your peace. A man begins to kick out of the world but ends up kicking himself. Because the key to all his fears and troubles begins and ends in himself. Where are you in this great peace? Without you there is no, there is discord. I know that, that in your time you answer all prayers. And I leave all my troubles and fears on your doorstep. Thank you for the day, Father, for a good service and for fellowship. I pray for all my friends and Christians everywhere. Fill our hearts with your love and look for Lord. Strengthen our faith and protect our way. This we ask for your Lord Jesus Christ. I was asked today if I had ever been angry at you. We both know that I have. But that was between ourselves and mostly by evening my anger subsided. To replace by fresh hope. Plus the assurance that whatever had happened was most surely for my own ultimate good. At night I thank you for your insight into my affairs. Lord, my hope tonight is for my friends, that they may all come to know you better, and that you will reveal yourself to them and become their personal saviour. Also that the man in prison may come to know you, if not right away, then in time. Teach me to witness for you quietly and sincerely, and I pray that you will forgive any that have done me any kind of wrong, and that I too may forgive them, despite any ill will between us. Also pray that you forgive me for any that I have received harm from and my hands on my tongue. And let your peace come in as a soothing balm to cover my spirits. You know, it's all wow. what I was feeling, what I was thinking. Wow, wow, yeah. So, I, I, cool. uh, so that, that all went into, uh, in, into prisons and everywhere. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I, that, all that came out of that time, you know, Pushing mental illness and committing suicide, and push it away. I mean, come on, inside of you, it's a giant. Yeah. But you've got to recognise it. You've got to bring that giant out. You've got to bring that person out, that kind person. You've got to be very careful in the world. We're all we're we're all more than the worst thing we've ever done, aren't we? I mean, that's that's the be all and end all. That's a brilliant. That's a brilliant. What's the name? That's a brilliant. You know answer to the thing you understand what yeah. I mean we are definitely we are I we are greater than, than you know that, that kind of would bring us down to our knees I mean it's easy to to, to, to sort of term especially well especially sort of after a life of crime and use that as an excuse but it's not an excuse it's true especially if the intentions which can be proven by actions and you yourself have obviously over the years since being released have proved untold times that your actions spoke louder than your words and if you like giving back and giving back to to if you like where you found yourself to prisons and ex-offenders and so on but um see, let, let me, let go me on Chris I, 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 you know, I, I've been out now near enough 50 years yeah sorry sorry Right, so, so that, that forty-seven, yeah, thirty, yeah, thirty-seven years, nearly forty years. Yeah, so you know, I have not gone back in the prison. Yeah, what's that tell you? <laughs> I've not been in the court, so you tell me what I, what I believe doesn't yep. work. 
Yep. But when I came out of prison, I didn't come out with pots of money. Mm. I didn't come out of a gangster lifestyle. I came out to nothing. Mm. But I had a good friend who said to me, you need to be careful, you need to sort of like come back into society in a very gentle way. And her name was Jenny. Right. And we, she said, what do you really want to do? And I said, well, Jen, I said, what I'd really like to do is go to Cyprus and visit my dad. And I was only out of uh, prison one day and I was on the way to Cyprus to pay respect to my father. Wow. But going back before that, so, um, you know, I, I, it's, freedom is a strange thing. You've got to, no, no, let me go back before that. I'm old, so give me a little. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 82 years old and I'm still here. Oh, he's wow. Still not finished. He's uh, not finished with me yet. So anyway, but I don't mind. <laughs> don't mind but anyway. No, I'll bet. So I don't mind either. I've had, I've had six kids since I've been home from prison. Yep. So you know, like you know, I came out and I knew what I wanted was family. Yeah. And, and I got that, and that's the most important thing, David, to have a family. Well, it is, isn't it? it? Family. Yeah, it, it's and and that family support as well. I mean, it, it it's just something incredible, isn't it? I mean, it, it it's it, it just, yeah, it's hard to explain really how important it can be in someone's life. Yeah, but for me, it was having children. Yep. And bringing in kids up, and and, and you know, I stopped smoking because I didn't want to pollute their air. Mm. I stopped gambling because I didn't want to sort of spend money in a betting shop when I could be spending it on my children. Mm-hmm. I, I got my values right, you understand what I yeah. mean? With my belief, I went into a betting shop, my kids were in the car, just to go and have a bet. And I swear it was the voice of Jesus that turned around and said, what do you want to be in there for? With all these losers, your children are in the car. That's where you should be. Mm. And I went straight out, I got in that car with the children, and I took off, we went over to the park, and I had time to reflect while they were playing on the swings and that. And it was absolutely right. What was I doing in that betting shop? Mm. Never ever went in one afterwards. And I tell you, the joy and everything I got out of my family would be unbelievable. Yeah. I had the most fun times. And ironically, do you know when I came out of prison, I went away for twins. <laughs> I had twins. That's that. That is that's 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 um that is quite something really. I mean, it is when you think about it, it's quite something, kind of way. I mean, on the face of it, it isn't. But when I mean, it's like wow, that's quite to go away for twins and come out and have twins. But I'll tell you what, Chris, we, we've been chatting for ages, so I'm quite um, sort of wary of the time in that. But um, in respect of you saying about writing books uh, in prison for your daughter, now I know the story, obviously, because we spoke before about it, but um, I think a good uh, positive finish would be the story about um, getting in contact with your daughter again, if that's OK, obviously. Yeah, OK, well... Basically, what happened was um, I was down in Basingstoke, working on a farm, and I used to go to church every Sunday. Yep. So I go along to this church and I'm praying there, and it was almost like somebody saying to me, "Chris, you know, 
you're going to be seeing Andrew sort of shortly, my daughter. And um, within two weeks, my brother rang me. And he said, Chris, he said, like, uh, your daughter Angie said, uh, have you heard anything from her? I said, no. I said, I haven't. I said, I, I don't know where to look. He said, well, he said, Charlie Cray, they've just made this film, The Craze with the Kent Brothers. And Charlie had to go down to Canon Classic Film, your Bordeaux Street. And while he was in there, he said, a young girl said to him, uh, I think you know my dad. And Charlie went, oh, another one. <laughs> he said, Hello. He said, yeah, he said, uh, what's his name? And she said, Chris Lambert, He went, you're his daughter? And she said, yeah. Anyway, got in touch. And Tony arranged for us to meet down at uh, the Marlebone uh, uh, Station. Yeah. And uh, I arrived and there was a big bunch of flowers and and uh, Tony said, uh, where would you like to go? I said, I'd like to go to Hyde Park. Hyde Park? He said, probably want to go there. I said, take me there, Tony, please. Anyway, so I'd like to make you out. I want to go to Hyde Park. Anyway, go to Hyde Park. I said, find a serpentine. And we found a serpentine, and Angie and I got out, and I said, Tony, thank you very much. He said, take care. He said, be careful. I said, okay. And I went down and we hired a boat out and we rode out into the middle of the serpentine and we just chatted. Mm. And uh, it was amazing. She'd been trying trying to find me for ages and couldn't find me. Mm. Um, and it just was a lovely experience. Yeah, I, I just... You know, I, I wanted to be on my own. Yeah. I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to be away from the human race. I wanted to be in a place where there was nothing around us. Yeah. The place of beauty to trees and the, the you know, the water, the, the sky and freedom. Yeah. That's oh. what I wanted. Wow. And that's exactly what I got. And that's a lasting memory for both of us. It's, well, to, to, to be honest, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here with a huge smile on my face. I just think it's an incredible story and it's just, and it just goes to show as well what can be if you, if you can just find that little bit of extra strength, the the future can be so, so much different. If you can just, as I say, find that little bit of strength and, and, and put that little bit of effort in as well. It does require a bit of effort, but um, if if you, you do find once you start on that path of, of change, that doors do start opening as well. Yeah, that's right. And, and this is what, something I actually want to say, David. Go on. When you're doing when you're doing the right thing, there's always the right time to do the right thing. Yep. There are two. You can do something. You've got to give it a course and think about it a bit, and then choose the right thing. Mm. Do the right thing. And when you do the right thing, you can't fail. Yep. And you keep marching on. And I believe me, people will fall in behind you. Mm. They'll see your decency. They'll see your character. They'll see your strength. They'll see your peace of mind. They'll see your determination. 